I'm Euro. I'm Chris. And this is Fork Bomb. Wednesday, May 9th, 2018, episode 22, part two of our Tandy TRS-80 podcast. Chris, how you been? Doing good, Euro. How have you been? Good, good. Aside from a ton of housework that I've had to do and, uh, you know, the occasional buying shutters for windows and stuff like that, I'm doing great. That's a shame because uh, that doesn't leave you with much leftover money to buy a TRS-80 color computer, also known as the Coco. How do you like that segue? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, I can I can segue it better. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I'm ready. Color computer one. The history launched. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a little rough. But <laughs> But an attempt was made. <laughs> oh man! Okay, never mind. That 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 segue didn't work. My segue crashed. So <laughs> we're gonna talk about the next in the TRS eighty line, the color computer, also known as the Coco. And this was uh, quite a departure from the original uh, TRS eighty models. Um, completely. Wait. Chris, you, you didn't tell our audience the, the best part about this podcast. Oh, what's that? That there's no editing in, that's going to be involved. It's just going to be it's just going to be craziness. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, uh, it might sound a little bit rougher because the um, editing process is tedious and is sucking the life out of me. So I'm going to uh, apply some of the basics, um, you know, noise reduction and dynamic compression. But I'm not going to uh, painstakingly filter out every single awkward pause and interruption and um we're just gonna oh and yeah and ums um and my constant stutters and my long awkward pauses that you can drive a train through anyways uh what were we talking about again oh yeah the the, the color computer history launched july 31st <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the was launched in July 31st, 1980, and was quite a departure from the original TRS-80 models. Uh, those ran on a Zilog 80 processor, or a Z80, or Z80, if you're of, the, of European descent. Um, but the color computer uses a Motorola 6809E processor. And at the time, that was a state-of-the-art, blisteringly fast processor. But, as we'll discuss a bit later that came that came out of cost yes it did um <clears throat> not being able to run trs80 software <clears throat> yeah uh, including uh lack of total lack of backwards compatibility yeah we'll see the trs80 actually ran on the xilog 80 chip or the z80 chip so they were completely they were not compatible with each other um so that that was that was one of those things where you actually wanted to have both systems if you had software for both and needed to run both for whatever kind of business reason you had. So that was um, that was interesting. At least for the first one, that was uh, that was that was that. Um, in the beginning, uh, they were the cost of these machines were three hundred ninety nine dollars, which I have no idea what it translates to nowadays money, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to be three hundred ninety nine dollars. And um, the initial goal of this project was called Green Thumb, which was to create low cost a low cost video text. And actually, the video text let me let me go backwards a little bit. Video text was actually the first version of the color computer. 
and it's think of it as not even a color computer one it's like a color computer zero um it didn't include a monitor or anything like that it was just hooked up to you could hook it up to your normal television and um so they actually made a a, a version of the video text called the uh, color computer one or what people what are calling the coco uh, for short um so yeah, it was to create a low-cost video text terminal for farmers, ranchers, and others in the agricultural industry. So that's that was the goal, but we could quickly see that that actually transformed into something completely different. So since you mentioned uh, it connecting to the TV, I do want to uh, allude back to the previous episode, the previous uh, TRS-80 models, where they were designed to work with... Um, a, a TRS-80 branded monitor, which is basically a monochrome screen, but these these were more of an all... These were designed to be hooked up to, to a television and were much more similar to a Commodore 64 or um, an Atari 8-bit computer where it's just the unit itself and it hooked up the TV. Um, it did not have some of the... Uh, show-stopping problems that the original TRS-80 had. It did not have the uh, the flimsy cable uh, that the expansion device uh, for the original TRS-80 had. It, um, I'm assuming, was a much more... Um, the, the hardware was much more thought out. It was all self-contained, all-in-one, smaller, lighter, uh, more, more polished. Now, you know, I, I don't... I don't really know if if this was the if this was how it was planned out or what, but um, it seemed like two completely different teams worked on this. Uh, it's just the uh, I, I just I just see a lot of the characteristics of the of the TRS eighty line that did not make it to the color computer, the Coco. You know, like some of those um, things you mentioned about the keyboard. I mean, about the flimsy cable and things like that. It's it just it just seems like you said more thought out. So I don't know if there were different separate teams or what, but really it, it just it just seemed like they they really thought about this thing and um, screw the cost, you know. Well, no, sorry, not screw the cost. It did cost three hundred ninety nine dollars, which means millions today. But um, but they 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 obviously had thought about these things uh, about well, perhaps they had some focus group or something that used the TRS eighty one the TRS eighty machine version one and decided that we're not going to go with these things because people are complaining about it. I don't know, but it does seem more thought out. So you did mention the uh, keyboard. Um, I should point out that the original Coco 1 came with a chiclet style keyboard, which honestly, I don't get why that was ever a thing. Uh, um, later... It was the 80s. I, I guess. But the Coco later on got a full-stroke keyboard, um, and the original came in the uh, um, typical TRS-80 battleship gray, but the one that came with the full-stroke keyboard came in a white case. So at least they they uh, wised up and got rid of the chiclet madness. So I think the perfect Coco would have been the, the battleship gray with the chiclet-style keyboard. Well, you could do that. You can get a... Um, a uh, third-party keyboard for it. Yeah. Well, then that sounds good. Oh, we didn't uh, mention how fast the CPU ran. It ran at 0.895 megahertz. Yeah, it was uh, right below one megahertz. 
it really puts things into perspective when we have four gigahertz and plus machines nowadays. And this one just ran at less than a megahertz and it did all the things it could do. Indeed. And it was, uh, it was typical of an eight bit computer of the era. The, it, it, um, it booted into basic, uh, the operating system was stored in ROM, so it booted instantly. Um, had a cartridge slot, uh, joystick slots. Did it have joystick ports? Two joystick ports. That's right, two joystick ports. Um, RAM was available in 4K, 16K, and 32K, but I remember reading that in order to use Color Basic, you needed at least 16K. Yeah, um, I wonder how they worked that out with the 4K model. It it might have used some sort of uh, you know some some sort of RAM extender or something. Uh, not a RAM. I don't know what I'm saying there. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> nope. I'm not cutting. Oh, oh, that's it. That's it. All right. Well, I'm stuck. I'm blue screened. <laughs> <laughs> so it um since it was since it started in in 1980, the last model. Um, with the Color Computer 3 ended in 1991 and competed with the Apple II, the Commodore 64, and the Atari 8-bit computers. Uh, despite that, they viewed business as their primary market. Yeah, that, that seems a little backwards here with the Color Computer, but, um, but I guess that's where, that's where the money was. It was a business. So that's why they were trying to target that market segment. But then they had the TRS-80. So why compete? I just, you know, they had two machines. Focus on one. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> but the good news is they finally had graphics. Real graphics, not just uh, semi-graphics. They still had semi-graphics, um, meaning uh, textual characters that looked kind of graphical. The, the, the characters themselves would be little squares or triangles or odd shapes. Um but there were two different modes, uh, resolution graphics mode and color graphics mode. In resolution graphics mode, it made every pixel, every pixel be addressable. So I guess that means that in color graphics mode, it was like color text. So we covered the processor, uh, Motorola 6809E processor at 0.895 megahertz. Uh, not backwards compatible. It um, used external. It uh, used an external cassette drive with an audio interface. It could also use um, external floppy drives. Uh, the controller for the floppy drive was a cartridge, which I find interesting. So the same place you plug in games, you plug. They were in... called program packs. Yep, you the same place you plug in games, you plug in your expansion interface. Yeah, and don't forget the uh, 1500 baud cassette interface and, of course, the TV output. Yep. And I guess we should cover the software. So Tandy actually licensed two versions. Nope. <laughs> so. so <laughs> oh, man. Hang on. I have to compose myself. Uh, it's all this beer. <laughs> I can't read it. Okay. <clears throat> so Tandy actually licensed Microsoft Basic, and there were multiple levels of this uh, Basic. You had standard color Basic that one resided in AK, the AK ROM. Then you had the extended color Basic that one is uh, that one actually needed 16k of RAM, so you couldn't load it in the other versions of the Coco. And then of course you had the disc extended color Basic, 
And that's the one you would use if you, for example, wanted to use a floppy disk controller. So it didn't have true DOS. Um, Third-party alternatives did exist, like Microware's multi-user, multitasking OS9, however. OS9 sounded interesting. Um, it says it was a Unix-like operating system, and according to... So there's, there, there's an article that we found on lowendmac.com about the TRS-80. Interesting that it's a website about low-end Macs, but it has an article about the Trash-80. But um, it says that the 6809 was perhaps the most sophisticated 8-bit CPU ever, but was never allowed to reach its full potential using Tandy's operating system, and OS 9 allowed it to um, allowed it to reach some of that potential. It was also a multi-tasking operating system. So, considering the very limited constraints of the Coco, that's that's pretty cool. That is that is. I mean, multi-user and multitasking, that's pretty impressive, you know, for a less than one megahertz machine with, uh, you know, four, eight, 16K of RAM, etc. So, I mean, really, these are, this is minuscule compared to nowadays machines, and, and this stuff was already, you know, it already had a multi-user and multitasking OS. True. I actually tried to load that on the VCC emulator, and for some reason, I couldn't get it to load right, but, um, yeah, the OS 9 OS. Of course, OS 9 also meant there was a split in the software community for the Cocoa because any software written for OS 9 would then require OS 9 instead of being made just for the Cocoa. Right, right. Yeah, the requirements. Um, well, so the Cocoa, uh, at least the, the first version, Cocoa 1, actually did have some limitations. The, the floppy disk access would halt the entire system while waiting for data, so... Imagine having to wait for that. Um, and, of course, it did have some problems. Uh, one of them was the chiclet keyboard, which, you know what, that actually reminds me. It, what I meant to say it wasn't the chiclet keyboard and the gunship color. I meant to say a modern-style keyboard or just a normal-style keyboard, you know, with the gunship color. So just correcting myself there. But, yeah, so that was one of the problems with the chiclet keyboard. So it was uh, superseded by the, MC and the MC10, a smaller, lower-cost version, which competed against the VIC-20. Um, that one came base. Um, so that model had a base RAM of 4 kilobytes, but you can do 20 kilobytes max, uh, a Motorola 68 3 processor, and only cost $120. I would so, be pretty mad if I had gotten a, a Coco 1, and then the Coco 2 came, and it cost you know, less than half. And with all this better hardware. <laughs> well, that that wasn't the, the uh, Coco 2. That was the MC10. It was a smaller, lower-cost version of the Color Computer 1. Oh, right. You sure you don't want to edit this? <laughs> Not editing it. <laughs> you literally just said MC10. And I'm like, yeah, you must mean the Color, the Coco 2. He just messed up when he said MC10. <laughs> I will I, I will listen to this again and again and the, the, these parts will make me laugh every time it's not, I'm just going to completely ignore what he said <laughs> MC10 this, he, he definitely met Coco too this I'm just isn't, not going to correct him but I will point it out at the end and then correct him <laughs> and then forget that we're not editing <laughs> oh boy this is great alright well 
Uh, yeah, so Coco 2. Good Coco segue. Two. History launched in 1983. Next bullet point. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing in this bullet point. It was left blank. I do not know why. <laughs> it was left blank on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> it was 25% shorter. I don't know what shorter means in this context, though. Was it shorter as in in height? The, the actual unit was shorter. Height or depth? Oh, man. Uh, um, smaller power supply and motherboard, so that would... I don't know which one that entails, but um, I would assume I would assume depth. Sure, that sounds as good a guess as any. Um, I did read, however, that it is functionally the same as the Coca One. Uh, they miniaturized some of the hardware by uh, moving some of the uh, moving some of the chips into ASICs, and so that means it's fully backwards compatible with the Coca One. Um, and get this killer new feature: lowercase text. Whoa, that's amazing! So on the VCC emulator that we were running, Chris, is that that must be based on the Coco One then? Because I don't, I didn't see any lowercase text being able to be displayed. That was a Coco Three, and it doesn't actually display lowercase text. It do you do you remember? Do you remember that shift zero command that we couldn't get to work? Yes, that's the one where you, we you can uh, you can send the 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 screen would change colors actually the they would reverse colors and then remember the 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 machine would point out the stuff when you when you programmed on it and you ran something in shift zero it it actually wouldn't run. Well, if you look in that um, that manual that I, that I, that I linked you to, it actually says what shift zero does it switches back and forth between all caps and uppercase lowercase mode and i believe yes yeah, too bad we can get when, that running this says when a lowercase letter is output to the tv screen it is displayed as a capital letter in reverse i.e the background is black while the letter itself is green that's so, lowercase that's lowercase it, it so it looks like a highlighted capital letter I see. Yeah, we couldn't get it to work, so we tried several times. We couldn't get it to work because we didn't know how the modern keyboard was mapping to the VCC emulator. Yeah, we even tried using a different uh, keyboard map, and that didn't work either. So I went back to the basic keyboard map. But it does have lowercase text. I'm really curious if you printed it out, if it would come out in lowercase. I could only assume so, right? I mean, in all... In all in all purposes, the the machine is reading that as lowercase text, even though we can't see it. And the killer hardware feature: full stroke keyboard. So, no more chiclets. <sighs> Finally, well, you of course you had some 16k or 64k models. There was no 32k model, so yeah, you had to buy one or the other. And actually, you know that that's kind of interesting that they didn't have a mid tier model there. But uh, I guess at that price point. You know, uh, I suppose it didn't really matter much about having a mid-tier. What What did the Coco 2 cost? Uh, well, I was going to say $120, but that's me ignoring again that that's the MC-10. Hmm. Let me hmm. find out. Coco 2 cost. Not editing this out either. Well, first thing that comes up when I type in Coco is the 2017 movie. 
that's exactly what I got. That won two Oscars and another 88 wins and 29 nominations. Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, everything I'm seeing doesn't show how much it cost. That's probably why it's not in the notes. I think I was also looking for it. Oh, um, it was shorter and it was 25% less deep. Ah, see? Depth. Depth. That's what I thought. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, well, forget the cost because we're not going to find it. We're going to find out how much that mon- that movie made, though, in the box office, which mm. is not the... That's out of the scope of this podcast. <laughs> you lost me, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is he talking about? Um, okay, well, another one of the features was that the basic ROM was updated to correct some bugs from its previous versions. So uh, that that seems, and you'll see that happening over the course of the three Cocos. So cool, cool. that was the Coco 2. Uh, some of the problems, the deletion of the 12-volt power supply crippled some peripherals, peripherals such as the flo- original floppy disk controller, which then needed to be upgraded, uh, installed in a multi-pack interface, or supplied with external power. What do you mean by the deletion of the 12-volt power supply? So by deletion, I mean removal. Like, not there. So, so it didn't, did it have a less than 12-volt power supply? I don't think that it was on there. It wasn't... Huh. Hang on a second. No, it, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. And this says they changed the name from the TRS-80 color computer to just the Tandy color computer. Right. You know, they, they should have dropped the TRS-80 to begin with because there's no Z80 in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a completely different architecture. So uh, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the TRS-80, but I guess it just wanted the name for, uh, you know, familiar, familiarity's sake. Uh, they wanted people to know that Radio Shack makes these computers. And so, um, but anyway, I, th- I still think it was a great decision for them to remove the TRS-80 from the logo and just put Tandy Color Computer. Uh, I think that was fantastic. So this brings us to the... Uh, Color Computer 3, formerly known as the TRS-80. Formerly known. Formerly known. And that was launched in 1986. And this one has a price. I don't know why it was so hard to find the price for the Color Computer 2, but Color Computer 3... I remember not being able to find the price on the Color Computer 2. That's why it's not there. Otherwise, I would have definitely included it. So weird. Um, Somebody leave us a comment and let us know. Yes, please, please. So... The Color Computer 3, sold in Radio Shack stores, and Tandy Computer Centers. I've never seen a Tandy Computer Center. Yeah. For $219.95. Very odd combination of numbers for a price, if you ask me. It's that whole psychological thing where it's not 220 so it just feels like it's less. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so the CPU, again, it runs at 0.895 megahertz, uh, but it's... But is software controllable to run at twice that rate? So it's it's almost like, you know, the, you, you remember those turbo buttons that the computers back then used to have and you could double the speed? It would half the speed. Or, or it would half the speed if you pushed it, but if, if it wasn't pressed, it wouldn't. Right. So kind of like that, but reversed and in software mode. Um, it had 128 uh, kilobytes of RAM, which could actually be upgraded to 512. The keyboard surround and cartridge door plastic were changed from black to gray. I actually like the gray better. I'm looking at a picture right now. It looks sharp. You know, 
that was something neat about all these 8-bit computers. I mean, the very fact that we're talking about colors means that we haven't entered the 90s era where everything is just beige, 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 beige. Right. Then it turned to black. When, and now it's RGB. Yeah. When you talk <laughs> about those computers, you don't ever talk about what, what color they were until we get into the rainbow iMac era. Mm-hmm. Right. So these were kind of ahead of its time. I mean, you know, you went from black to gray. <laughs> but but it was um, all yeah. it was all uh, uh, painted plastic yes. instead of uh, color plastic. So if you ever do get uh, one of these to play with, you're if you want it to look nice, you're guaranteed to have to repaint it. In fact, uh, the Apeit guy has a fantastic episode where he fully restores a uh, TRS-80 color computer. Absolutely, repaints yes. it and everything. Definitely, you should watch that. He he does a fantastic job at you uh, at doing that. Uh, some people use Retro Bright as well to get rid of some of the yellowing, but uh, but yeah, he he does a really fantastic job. Well, in this case, there is no no yellowing because it's just painted gray. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, another one of those things was the keyboard layout was revised, putting the arrow keys in a diamond configuration and adding Control Alt F one and F two keys. Oh wait, that's right. The arrow key layout before was retarded. Well, now you just offended every retarded person. <sighs> the, the, the the up and down arrow key and layout right in the previous models was non-intuitive. They were on the left and right side, so you had the on the, the right and... side. You had the right. You had the left and right keys, and on the left side, you had the up and down keys. A little bit weird, but um, yeah, that would definitely take some getting used to. And in the Coco Three, they were all they were in a diamond shape, and they were all together on the right hand side. Well, I meant to insult the designer of that keyboard layout. Well, then uh, you called him retarded. That's what I meant to do. <laughs> all right. Well, it was actually compatible with most older software and Coco Two peripherals, so at least you didn't have to rebuy those joysticks. Cool. It included a new graphics chip. This is uh, called the Graphics Interrupt Memory Manage Enhancement, or otherwise known as the, what is this, GIME, GIM, G-I-M-E. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but that's what it stood for, Graphics Interrupt uh, Memory Enhancement. Uh, it did have output to a composite video monitor or analog RGB monitor in addition to the TV output Ooh. or TV input. I bet that looked a bit TV nicer. Output. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Have you ever done that before? That's a, that's really neat to show it on a TV and then just yeah, it's literally just putting it up on the TV and especially TV back then using composite. Um, it's definitely not as sharp as looking at at it through a RGB monitor. Right. Hey, uh, before we go much further, I, it just occurred to me we did not talk about um, what all of these models lacks as a result of them going kind of. Uh, overpowered on the cpu it lacks okay. it lacks uh, discrete uh sound and video chips so at, at, at the time it was competing with the the atari 8-bit models the um and the c64 and those had dedicated chips for graphics and sound uh, that's why the c64 sounds so great that's why the atari 8-bit machines sound better than amiga the, than the not yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I was gonna say that's what they. That's why the Amiga. Yeah, so yeah, great. That too. But this, this only had the CPU. 
So all right. the audio and graphics were generated. All had to be processed through that less than one megahertz Motorola chip. Which, it was a more powerful processor, yes. But when it comes to gaming, which, let's face it, that's what everyone did in this thing, it did not stack up. No, no, absolutely not. Um, I would, you know, you know how the, the consoles nowadays, they, they tend to do that. And the thing, one of the things that comes to mind, and I'm definitely going to derail this podcast right now, but do it. the PS3, so the PS3 actually comes with separate chips that handle uh, you know, different, different aspects of physics and things like that. So, and then you have one central chip kind of commanding them all. And that's what this whole cell processor thing was all about. So uh, the games that are programmed to fully utilize all of these separate chips look amazing on a PS3 console. So uh, bringing it back to this, it's kind of the same way where you could get uh, way more power. Well, let's not say way more power, but additional power by having these separate chips to handle uh, things like mm, video, like Blitter and things like that. So uh, sound chip, uh, the, the chip that comes to mind is the Commodore, the SID chip. You know, that one is specifically made to handle that. While the poor TRS-80, or oh, wow, I can't believe I even said that. While the poor Coco had to deal with everything on just the CPU itself. True. I almost called it Trash 80. <laughs> I'm going to be punished by well, the Tendi gods. You can still call the color computer one a Trash 80. Yeah, definitely. Radio Shack's Trash 80. Not Tandy's. <laughs> There's a difference. So page memory management, which broke 60... Uh, people, are think, people are going to think I edited that with that sharp jump to just back to the details. No, but there was no editing there. He just... You know what he, he did, guys? He just he just went right in. He just, just dove in. I just had to talk about page, page memory management because it broke the 64 kilobyte address space into... 8 by 8 kilobyte chunks, which would later allow third-party RAM upgrades of up to 2 megabytes. A whole 2 megabytes. Really? Mm -hmm. Really? Yes. Yeah. RAM wow. upgrade. Yeah. Well, in 1986, 1986, it's getting up there. True. So you're, you're, I mean, you already had a 386 by that point. You did a fantastic job on these notes. Yeah, thanks. I could have said, though, you know, the whole, well, you know, it was 1986, you know? You know? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah thanks yeah. Uh, well uh, so text character attributes including 8 foreground and 8 background colors underline and blink those were the those are the color uh, those are the character attributes that the Coco 3 introduced um, you had the new graphics resolution of 160 256 320 or 640 pixels wide by 192 to 225 lines so that's that's that part of that uh, Gaim Jim Gim, whatever you want to call it, um, those are all new features from that, uh, you know, graphics interrupt memory enhancement. Uh, you had up to 16 simultaneous color from a palette of 64. So uh, some of the games look actually pretty neat with that 16 simultaneous colors. I'm sure, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that we saw uh, the 8-bit guy doing some really neat tricks with the his uh, his game that he wrote in Assembly. Uh, by mixing colors or by doing some 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 yeah, trickery to get additional colors to display right and uh to support those colors some extensions were 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 provided to extend the color basic but instead of coming from microsoft they came from microware the same company that made os9 
not to be confused with uh, Mac OS 9. Although it was on the Mac website. <laughs> oh, that that that's funny. That article was on the Mac was on a Mac related website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and since Microsoft was not involved with the Coco 3, um, to avoid violating the license agreement Tandy had with them, Microsoft's unmodified basic software was loaded into the Coco 3's ROM, but then the ROM was copied to RAM and then patched by Microware's code. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. interesting thing. Mm-hmm. That they were able to get around that. <laughs> so funny how our our legal system works uh so long as you keep them in sec- in in separate buckets and then p- combine them later that's that's okay yeah yeah legalese mm-hmm. so the coco 3 came loaded with microware's os9 level 2 operating system and that operating system had memory mapping uh, and basically that what that is is so each process had its own memory space with up to 64k k of ram and it had its uh, window display and uh, more extensive development environment bundle, which included a copy of basic 09C and Pascal compilers. So pretty neat uh, computer to have if you're a programmer, since you had all these tools at your disposal. Would memory mapping mean that if, if, if you're running multiple applications at once on OS 9, that they would not be able to interfere Overlap. with each other's memory space? You know what? I assume so, but the first time that I heard of that was the 386. Although this looks exactly like that, where it had, uh, pr- you know, what you're talking about is protected memory or mm. protected memory space, and that that sounds exactly like that with this memory mapping. It also had a window display. That's interesting, and some more extensive development environment bundle. A a more extent. A more extensive development environment bundle, which included a copy of Basic 09 C and Pascal compilers, so more options than just Basic and assembly, like you would get with um, right. We should all switch to Pascal. <laughs> Indeed, it's, <laughs> it, it's the way of the future. I don't know. I'm a I'm a Fortran man myself. Oh, Cobol here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the Coco 3 actually did have some problems. Uh, many features that were planned for the Coco 3 were omitted due to cost cutting and, of course, politics. Uh, Tandy wanted to make sure that the Coco 3 did not compete with the Tandy 1000. So, you know, for example, the hardware acceleration and enhanced sound of the Tandy 1000. So they kind of stripped those things out of the Coco 3. Uh, Microware's patch code had several bugs, and support for many of the new hardware features was incomplete. Various members of the Coco OS 9 community enhanced OS 9 level 2, but Tandy stopped production of the Coco 3 before an official patch could be released. That's that's too bad for those guys. I, I hope they actually did release it, maybe maybe if it wasn't official. Maybe. Um, and yeah. it appears there was a fork of OS 9 called NITR OS 9, Nitrous-9, Um which is a major rewrite of OS 9 uh, 6809 level 2 for the Coco 3, and it takes advantage of the added features and speed of the Hitachi 6309 if such a CPU was installed. So apparently you you could actually do that. CPU upgrades. Mm-hmm. Right. Was it still... Was that compatible? Okay. With a Coco 3, uh, it was compatible, yeah. You could could do that. You could add a 6309. Uh, Early versions of the... uh, Gaim, I don't know. 
Guy yeah. was the graphics deck? It was that, uh, right. It was the uh, uh, graphics interrupt memory enhancement. Right. Ah, so the you. graphics chip. Well, it had uh, DRAM timing issues, and that would cause random freezes, so that sucks. Um, due to more bugs in the. In, in Whatever gun, that is. The, uh, mm-hmm. Some features that were problematic were marked as reserved or do not use in the programming and service <laughs> manuals. That's Stay away. <laughs> this, this is broken. Don't. Uh... Do not push this red button. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, power supply would sometimes overheat if the system memory was expanded to the full <laughs> 512, 512 kilobytes of RAM. Uh, some people used a small fan inside the case to keep it cool, which we take for granted. Right, nowadays. A we fan, do. but I I guess it was a completely fanless system. It was a thing back then, yeah, to, you know, nice and quiet computers, but not this one. This one had a fan, uh, if you wanted that full 512. Um, do you want to talk about our playing around with BASIC, or do you want to talk about... Um, oh, actually, there, there there is one thing that I want to, uh, want to mention. Uh, no, we actually already mentioned it. It was the whole CPU not having discrete graphics thing. Um, yeah, anyways. So one thing that is very cool about the, uh, Coco, uh, similar to the other 8-bit computers of that era, is it has a very detailed, uh, uh, manual, including, um, instructions for how to deal with, uh, with color to perform color adjustments, video centering, and sound demonstrations. Um, so all these 8-bit machines, what I love about them, and I probably said this before, and I, and I will say it again, is it teaches you every possible thing about it. It teaches you how to open it up. It teaches you how to program. It teaches you how to get the absolute most out of the computer that you can. It's fantastic, Where, really. Yeah, and a computer today, you you just get like here's how you plug it in. Here's your ninety day warranty. Oh, if you even get a manual, yeah. Uh, a lot of the times it's on a PDF loaded, not even in a CD anymore. It used to come in a. At some point, they had it on a CD, and then they moved everything to a USB stick, uh, you know, with the OS, and then they stopped doing that, and then they put it on a different partition or a hard drive. So that's where we are today. They've kind of cost cut all that stuff. But even then, those but, those aren't worth reading at all. These right APA machines. This teaches you how to do something, how to you could program and everything. Yeah. Which I guess that's a good segue into uh, you and I. We loaded up the VCC emulator we started going through the manual and we started playing with uh, trs80 basic that was incredibly fun i want to keep doing that after this episode yeah yeah absolutely and um count me in that was incredibly fun so basically it was chris and i we were we were just typing different things and and uh following the the manual and then uh following uh who was it it was Co- coco net right this guy on youtube yeah uh so we were following his uh, instructions on what to do and then we were, we were all kind of following along with this manual because he also had it on and uh we were just typing in commands and having a really good time doing it learning about uh the different commands that uh, the trs80 era oh, i said it again <laughs> uh, <laughs> the color computer had uh with basic so yeah really neat we should we, we definitely will continue that my first programming language was a form of basic it was uh, the TI-83+. Plus. So I think that's why I'm, I've been enjoying BASIC so much. 
And I think yours was QBasic? Yep, it was Microsoft's QBasic. Uh, it was loaded into, uh, I believe it was, well, the version that I had. So DOS 622 uh, had QBasic on board, although that wasn't the first version of DOS that had QBasic. Um, not to mention GW Basic from even before that, but uh, right, that's where I started. And uh, the first time that I loaded up the game where you had two gorillas throw bananas at each other uh, over the city line, uh, everybody that had QBasic would know what I'm talking about. I love that game. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then you could see all the code. Uh, and then what I started doing is I was tinkering around with the code. And that's how I learned Basic was tinkering around with this gorilla game to uh, to modify some of the settings on the you know, uh, on this thing. And then I would go and copy it and give it to uh, my friends and everything so they could uh, check out all the modif- modifications that I did. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that actually led me to uh, computers today. So, Sadly, I don't think that the basic in these APIP machines is up to the job of uh, running gorillas. No, no. Uh, it could we be saw, an assembly. There, there's some limitations there, yeah, for sure. But uh, But for the things it could do, it actually surprised me. I mean... Some of the things that it was doing, I, I thought that was really neat. Now, maybe it's just because I'm just dumbfounded that this, you know, very basic computer ran basic. Uh, but some of the things, uh, you know, did surprise me. Some of the things that I, I thought weren't going to run, uh, were running. And some of the some of the stuff that maybe I just forgot about basic, uh, it was just working, you know, right off the bat. So I like that. And another thing that I liked was, unfortunately, of course, you had to remember what line of code that was or you just ran the list command and see what the list of uh, of of lines of code that you had written. But one of the things that I liked is, okay, I know that I put that that thing in item 10 or in line 10. So you just put in 10 space and then make your modification and then that's it. You hit enter, it commits to memory, and then you can run it. So I like that. I like modifying like that. That is cool. Hey, uh, so one thing that was ported to the TRS-80, though, is uh, NeonCat. Do you remember Noncat? I remember Alleycat. So for for anyone that has not seen Noncat, there's the silly cartoon of a pixelated cat that has a Pop-Tart for a body with pink sprinkles and is flying through space and there's a rainbow trailing behind it. And... I saw um, that on YouTube. Yeah. With the crazy music. And I'm, I'm going to uh, play that music here for you. See monitor built in analog. Oh no, this one. No wait, gotta do it here. Ah yes. Yep, that's familiar, and that that will never. Yeah. So there is a um. There's a TRS-80 version of that. It, it even has uh crappy looking TRS-80 graphics, and uh, I'm gonna play that for you now. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. I'll never get that out of my head. <laughs> that was really neat, though. My work here is done. <laughs> that was really neat. Uh, it's incredible that these uh, the, these machines, they were able to do that. Back then, I mean, with the limited amount of power and everything that they had. Well, Noncat wasn't made back then. Someone ported that to the Trash 80 after Noncat came out. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure back then they didn't even know about that, but somebody was able to port it. That's great that it worked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of curious if there's a Flappy Bird on the uh, Coco, because I know there was a C64 version. Ooh, maybe. 
But you know what, Chris? Uh, you know what I really like about all these? We've been we've been doing this podcast for a few episodes now, or for, for actually quite a few. And what I like about it, and we've discussed this before, but I continue to just be baffled by this, is the vibrant communities that these these machines have. I mean, people still, even to this day, they they still they they create YouTube channels about it. They have websites dedicated to this. They have people. Uh, you know, porting over Meowcat. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's great. I mean, that's that's really awesome that these these machines they they all of them they all have this this these communities that have developed and and they're all programming around it and and everything. Yeah, definitely. They have a cult following. <laughs> you don't you don't see that that kind of that kind of loyalty with with computers today. I mean, you're not going to see an original uh, 2007 era model iPhone users group or cult following like that. You're not going to... Hey, I'm a 2007 iPhone's user group. I feel offended. (laughs) You're not going to see a... uh, I have a a third gen iPod, uh, iPod, third gen. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, It's not the same. No, and it, it never will be the same again. It's just... And devices now are just such, so watered down, just such uh, disposable computer, uh, they're now just disposable consumer electronic devices, and I think we've well, really lost a lot there. Besides them, besides them being uh, a lot of these machines, uh, even more modern ones, uh, but not up to the most modern ones. Uh, a lot of these machines, they get talked about and everything on forums like the Retro Machines Forum on Facebook, the Retro Machines Group. Um, it's not dedicated to one platform that they completely love and make websites about. It's dedicated to all retro hardware. So nobody's out there uh, with a Pentium 133 and he has built a community around Pentium 133s. That That's just not not the case. But it is the case with the, you know, the Tandy Coco and the Amiga and you know the the uh, the TRS eighty, the Atari STs and the Atari eight bit lines and things like that. You know the Commodore sixty four. They have entire communities built around this. People wearing T shirts with that and everything. Well, you know, while it's not the same with the community based off of Pentium one thirty three users. You know, they may take a few pictures of the chip and everything. Oh look, it's running on my motherboard, but it's not the same. It's not that it's not that community that I'm talking about over one machine. Yeah, <clears throat> with X86 stuff, it just gets lumped into, it's retro. You have like a five to ten year span. It's grouped, yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's, a lot of different chips are grouped into the X86 architecture. Right. But I guess part of that comes down to um, we had standards after a point to where pretty much everything was the same. So that's probably a good thing. So the reason why there are such cult followings around these unique machines is every machine was unique. Yes, and also, it, it, I think it a lot of it is the time period that it came out. It was that time when uh, everything was just releasing so fast and, and, and things were changing um, from one to the other. And people have great memories of those times. So, you know, you know nostalgia is a pretty powerful thing. So people, people don't, you know, they don't want to let go of that. They, hey, I, I used this machine as a child and it brought great memories. I want to, you know, build an entire community. Oh, I also had the machine when I was a kid. Yeah. So we were we were uh, a little bit harsh on the original uh, Trash Eighty um, due to all due to all the problems that I had uh, with the Coco. If someone said, you know, here have a Coco, 
Would you take it and play with it? I would. Yeah, it didn't have all those problems that the TRS-80 did, especially the first one. Uh, but I would I would prefer it if they gave me a Coco 2 or 3, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I would. I would uh, at least play some games and things like that. I would too. I'm not as blown away by the Coco as I was with something like the Commodore 64 or oh. even the Atari. But uh, it's still, still, still a neat machine. Indeed. Well... I think I would probably ask them uh, how much RAM it has, and if they said 4K, I'd be like, oh, no, I can't even use Color Basic there. Ew. Ew. <laughs> right, so that, that's why I would prefer if they yeah, if they're so nice and uh, gave me a Coco 2 or 3, especially a Coco 3, that, uh, you know, that one, I, I would definitely spend some time, especially with this, uh, you know, with their excellent documentation. Yeah, definitely. So, certainly a fun and fun entry in the... 8-bit computer era, um, and I'm glad that we researched it and talked about it and played with it and know more about it now. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, as all things that we've been doing on this podcast, I've enjoyed researching every single machine that we've uh, looked into and everything, so um, I'm definitely glad that we've taken the time to go through each one of these and you know, do our research, uh, even though our research it can be wacky at times, uh, and play around with them, and so that way we can tell you guys, the audience. Yeah, uh, definitely, I definitely respect the people that, that do a much better job than we do, because um, uh, sometimes you you really pick up the slack uh, when my research gets all half-assed, uh, but still fun. Um do you have anything else you want to discuss about the Coco? Nope, I'm done. Uh, the only thing that I have left to say is um, I get an Amiga. <laughs> 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 one day, you're going to plant oh, that seed one day. deep enough in my head. I'm just going to wake up in cold sweat screaming, Amiga, Amiga, gotta get one. Chris. Chris. <laughs> to which I ask you, uh, where is where is your Amiga? Um, it's uh, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anyone would like to uh, get in contact with us uh, to um, shower us with pra- with praise and adulation, or uh, to berate us with um, corrections and complaints and negative comments, I don't know why you would, but you know. You do you? Oh, yeah, because all our stuff is, is <laughs> excellent, excellent, highest quality. We can be contacted through a variety of means. Uh, one is through Facebook. If you look up our Facebook page, uh, Fork Bomb Podcast, um, we can also be found on the Twitters at Fork Bomb Podcast or via Gmail, uh, Fork Bomb Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can also go to our website, forkbomb.podbean, that's B-E-A-N as in Nancy, dot com. And you can leave comments there too if you want. Uh, But the best way to get us is through uh, insert your podcatcher here. We are also on Stitcher. I've been meaning to mention that. Uh, We have been for the past few episodes, so we can be found there. Do a search for Forkbomb or Forkbomb Podcast. I'm sure you'll find us. as always, Euro, thanks for hanging out and doing this with me. And for everyone that listens, thank you for listening. <laughs>